Uh, hi. It's great to be with you today. Um, I was recounting with one of my classes, both of my classes, uh, so far this morning that last Friday I left right after, yes, right after uh, my last class last Friday, and I traveled to Chicago to be with my daughter as she danced ballet. Chicago, I got the pizza. It was wonderful. Uh, hallelujah. Praise him. All right. Uh, people drive crazy there. It was wonderful to be there and uh, to recognize some things that we have in common. Uh, people, urban environments. Missiologist Ray Bakke comes to my mind. If you haven't read him, Ray Bakke, he always looks at the city and asks, why not here? You know. Uh, my wife and I, we work with the Assemblies of God World Missions. In addition to being here with North Central University, I work with missionary training in training newbie global workers with understanding culture. What is it to engage a culture and to recognize the influences of that culture and what it means to then read scripture within that culture? Uh, so I'm very passionate about this and I've, I've got the great privilege to work with faculty and staff who helps to support that privilege uh, to share and to learn. Uh, students, you're wonderful. I mean, we learn together, we push back against each other, we listen to each other occasionally. Uh, inevitably, we come back to the point where we ask, God, what is this? Can you help us together to learn? And uh, inevitably, we are going to have a better sent church because of our interaction on this campus. That's one of the byproducts that you just can't get away from with this academic institution. I'm excited about what the church is gonna look like, the Scent Church, specifically. Katya and I served in youth ministry in Chi Alpha here in the USA. Yeah, rules, seriously, with Chris in Chi Alpha. Yes, sir, we've known each other for so long. And then I was also recounting Vinny, we've known each other for, yep, yeah, so long. You're so kind, sir, please don't tell any stories about us. Um, as well as in church planting and university ministry in Sweden. Uh, I remember that at the end of one of our gatherings in Sweden, this one friend at the end of scripture reading and music time, that's what we'll just call it rather than calling it something else, but that's what it was. And my friend was standing with his hands up like this and this smile. And he couldn't take it off his face. And he stayed there long after we were, everybody else was done, right? So I kind of came up beside him and I said, hey, how's it going? And he said to me, what is this? What's happening? This is great. And, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to be the Bible answer person. Well, what it is is the Holy Spirit is working. This is what I said. The Holy Spirit's working in and through you and God's doing a work in you. And he looked at me from the side of his eye and he said, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's, something's happening. And so he wasn't, he wasn't ready to hear. In fact, it would be a few months before he realized what that experience meant. It took him a little while. But thankfully, there was a group of believers there to help him with those questions. Once he felt comfortable with saying, what does this mean? Let's go to the scripture today. Uh, Acts chapter 2, I have the privilege to uh, speak about this specific, these specific verses today. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking, these Galileans, speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they, said, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears, we hear them in our own native languages? How is it possible? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. That's important to recognize. Cretans, people from Crete, that's also important. And Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this story, this collection of facts now that we recognize influenced how you would be known throughout the world. All glory to you, God, through this, through this time today and our recognition of you in the midst of your spirit. Thank you. Amen. So we got to go through a bit of background info first. I think we would be doing this a disservice if we didn't do the 2020 thing where you look 20 verses back, 20 verses forward. However, we're going to look Bible-wide for just a little while. Uh, the day of Pentecost. I mean, Luke leads with this, everybody. Take a look at that. The day of Pentecost had come. It happens 50 days after Passover, traditionally. <clears throat> in Exodus, we read about how Moses celebrated the first Passover in Egypt while the people of Israel were in captivity you know this, potentially. If not, it's a nice refresher. Uh, while the people of Israel were in captivity because of the sacrifice of a lamb, the people inside of the homes which displayed the blood of that lamb were spared from the destruction of this angel of death. Passover mattered to them greatly for the preservation of their families, their culture. Uh, it came to pass historically that after Passover, the work of planting wheat begins and historically, really, the day after Passover happens. Uh, and after 50 days, the first fruits of the wheat festival are cut and then offered to God, thanking God, of course. Uh, you read about this in Leviticus. To a culture whose lives are based on agriculture, food. Please look at all the metaphors that Jesus uses about agriculture. And if you are not agriculturally minded, don't be surprised if you might miss something. And the worth and what mattered to them uh, this is the sign, this first fruits giving back to God, that the wheat harvest was just beginning. Watch this then. Jesus celebrated a Passover meal, what we traditionally call this Last Supper. That's our label, right? But then it was Passover. And then the next day, he's given, he dies. He's buried. Fifty days after that Passover meal, after the Last Supper, should we be surprised that the church springs to life? Buried, and now to life again. So it's exciting to see how God's spirit, he loves to use this symbolism. And the thing that we're going to be looking at today is the symbolism behind these passages because what we see is that Jesus is making it ultra clear to his people. 
Don't deny what is about to happen. And in the midst of it, trust, trust, trust. Uh, at times, we can be, uh, I grew up Lutheran, all right? I grew up Lutheran in a church that did not recognize that this experience had a lot of weight for us today. As an ordained, as someone was a God minister, I've had a change of heart. At age 17, this was revealed to me that it, it, it does matter. It, it changed me. So I'll speak from that stance. Uh, so they were all there in that one place, waiting as Jesus told them to. Luke records at the end of this account that Jesus, and that it was Jesus who told them to wait for the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, there's so many different ways that we could be speaking about this that we derive from Scripture. Luke goes to this level where he says, it's the Spirit of Jesus, this Holy Spirit. It's not just spooky, right? No, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Uh, clearly, God wants the whole room to realize what's happening. Luke foreshadows this experience by John the Baptist saying to everyone around you, listen, I baptize you with water. It's so that you might turn from the way that you were going. Somebody's coming. I can't carry their sandals. I'm not qualified for that. But he who is coming is going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And now it is apparent to everybody in the room what is happening. It, this must be from God. Because that was a question back then. Is what's happening here from God? That's the litmus test. He makes it clear. So we're looking at these two symbols. The first one is wind. Uh, the, the sound of wind blew through the house, symbolizing the Spirit of God. You think about life and movement, okay, when you think about wind, hopefully. It's just like a wind, the wind, there was a sermon I think a year ago or two years ago in chapel. I learned, because you can learn in chapel, it's possible, right? Uh, the wind pushed at the top of trees and it, and it encourages growth within the trees. You can also see that the wind will take seedlings, little pine cones, and it'll push them off a little ways as they fall so that then the forest grows naturally. Wind is throughout scripture. Wind helps us to understand things. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus that the wind blows where it pleases. Should we not be surprised about what's happening in Acts 2? I mean, this is what Jesus is leading to this moment. Ezekiel 37, you know this, the valley of the dry bones. Uh, the wind, the four winds really, brings new life. And God is the author of each step. As a kid, I went fishing with my dad in Minnesota, Lake of the Woods. And we would go out a couple miles from shore. And I always felt comforted as somebody who like, likes to be on land. Whenever we would get out about two or three miles, it's deceiving. When you look at the shoreline, how far out you are, like, how far are we out, Dad? Should be about five minutes and we're back a half hour later, right? We're almost back to shore. But when the wind would pick up on the lake of the woods, there were times where I would look and I could not see shoreline. All I could see is that we were in the, the bottom of, a, of, 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 of waves all around us with the swell being changing the horizon that I saw. I learned to respect wind in that moment. I also found there were times where I would be, just be sitting by myself on some of these sweltering, humid days here in Minnesota. We don't talk about the humidity, but it's bad. It can be really bad. Not Florida bad, but it's bad. And then a wind comes. And what does it do? Boy, it comforts. It comforts us. 
Similarly with songs, no, music, people, hear me, I know this well. Uh, God is at the top of the chorus, right? 100% he is. And he's also in the silence. Fully occupying those spaces, ready to meet us. So we move on. This wind can comfort us. Something audible was present. We do know that. It was audible. But if not heard, it definitely was felt by everybody there. So our first symbol's done. We understand wind, something powerful, but definitely resembling and denoting the Holy Spirit of God was there. Secondly, fire. Fire hovered over their heads, representing God's holiness and perfection of his presence. Throughout scripture, we find fire burning away offerings, burning away things that are temporary, purifying speech like in Isaiah. Uh, Fire distributed over each person there, and that denoted that as each person is speaking a different language, these languages matter, these contexts, each individual one will know who God is. Glossa in the Greek means tongue and in a sense of flame, but also given the context, glossa then is also in the context of a language. We learn from scripture, of course. Uh, They were all together, but look closer. The tongue of flame came to each person, and just like John said, if I haven't reiterated this, because in the rabbinical way of teaching, you usually teach things three times, and then it sticks. So don't be surprised if I might have just slipped that in here. All right, three times we're recognizing John said, Holy Spirit and fire, and here it is. Impossible to deny. They were all together, just as our perception can realize God's presence at that top of the chorus. I think we've learned that. This certainly, to be clear, was a top of the chorus moment, however. It was going to be impactful. It was going to be heard and felt. There's a number of terms for what we see here. Luke wrote, filled. Jesus says, baptized earlier in this, in in Acts. Peter would talk about this pouring out of the spirit, receiving, placed upon. There's so many terms. And Jesus said that they would be baptized. If we look at the Greek of baptized, it is baptizo, which means to dip to be immersed repeatedly to the point of being overwhelmed. It's a transformation. My my classes, you know this as I've spoken about this. It is truly the difference between a cucumber and a pickle. That's it. They would use that same terminology for the transformation. I mean, this is a molecular change in something. Transforming. Our department doesn't just talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, Our department has the opportunity to teach cross-cultural communication. Some of you are in that class with me. You're wonderful. Uh, One of these things that we do study in in our discipline of global studies is kinesics, which is the study of body movements. You have examples of body movements right here? Becoming communication, right? Uh, Probably like one of the the purest forms of communicating in a three-dimensional space. It's amazing. There's two things that I want to focus on within kinesics, and one of them that we use in cultural anthropology is the idea of emblems, all right? It's usually something that you do with a hand movement that then has a direct translation into a a piece of speech or something verbal. So I'm going to do one of these. Uh, I'm going to now make a hand movement. You're going to tell me what it is, okay? Ready? 
You ready? This is the interactive part where you don't check out. Here we go. Hi, okay. Also, goodbye. Okay, could be that. How about, how about, you're in trouble. Yeah, get over here. Okay, great. Uh, easy. I have to look at my notes like I don't know these. Uh, another one. Very good, very good, very good. What happens uh, if you're in traffic and you're in the left-hand lane and you're going too slow? Don't make that gesture. I had that happen to me in Chicago, yeah. Uh, how about this one? Cross my heart and? What a horrific thing to say, but we readily accept it as a culture. Hope I die. Uh, stick a needle in my eye. He takes it a step further, how horrific. But really what that means is that I promise, I bind myself to this promise. Uh, we're not gonna talk about Abram. We're not gonna talk about how God used a pagan understanding that was readily understood in the culture in order to communicate covenant. We won't talk about that, but that's clear. God uses cultural forms to inform us of his goodness. Uh, we move on. Uh, hand, I promise. Oh, how about this one? Uh-uh-uh, or shame on you, right? The face can come alongside of that. But now we get away from emblems and we get to illustrators. Maybe you're more familiar with some of these, okay? Uh, one of these is gonna be, uh, this is the weirdest one, okay? But it's where you do a hand motion, but then you also speak alongside of it. Or you communicate alongside of this hand motion. So, if I do this, it doesn't mean anything. But if I do this, got your nose. <laughs> to a kid, you know what that kid's going to do? What's happening, right? Got your nose. What a weird thing to say. But it's fun to mess with them. It is. Uh, how about this? Peace. That's one. See, it has a different meaning when I say it with it. Peace. I could also say victory. If I'm in line at McDonald's, I go, no pickles. <laughs> Different meanings in each individual space, right? How about this? You've seen this, Golf Channel. Who watches the Golf Channel? How bored are you, right? Okay, let's go. Yes, right? Yes, I won. Yes. You did well on a test, you did something well. You know, this stuff really does matter. Uh, all good, good job, way to go, bad job. Nobody really does that to a friend. It was the worst, man, the worst. Well, a true friend would sometimes, right? Uh, or I need a ride. So different meanings in different contexts and whatnot. And then we get to this one, which is the penultimate weird one, okay? I don't know, right? That's but we've added something else there that uh, when I shared this with my cultural uh, comm students, they were like, ew. And it was this, just saying. See, yeah, right, there you are, Hannah. But th in each situation, there's different meaning that's assigned because two things, two symbols are placed together. How is it that God is not trying to get our attention by taking this Holy Spirit and fire? Purity and power placed all into one space 
that God has absolutely recognized new meaning is formed of what power is and that the church should not have to toe the line to anybody else, but to stay, God has sent me amidst any force of power that they might know Christ. So let's look at this. Who was there? Jews from the surrounding lands of Italy, Europe, and Asia. Uh, let's look at this list of kingdoms from the past. Parthians, a kingdom that traded silk with, with China, right? It's fun to see where all these places were because we can go through lists, you know. But it's great to see that they're grounded in peoples. They were present and they had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival all in one place. Uh, so Parthians, a kingdom, they, this is the original Silk Road. They, fear, they were feared by Rome. But without the Parthians, evangelization of the East wouldn't be possible. Medes, tribes of Jews dotting the landscape of Asia. Mesopotamia, Jews living in the Fertile Crescent north of Parthia. You can see it there. Judea, the region that Jerusalem was situated in, stretching from the east to the west. Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, less Romanized, but northern Turkey, right? Phrygia, Pamphylia, Phrygia. Musicians, a mode, Phrygian, fun. Yeah, you know it, guitar players. Southern Turkey, Egypt, about a million Jews lived, near, lived in northern Egypt around Alexandria. Christianity would become significant in Egypt. Libya, Cyrene, northern Africa, where there many Jews settled. Visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism. Catch that, both. Rome was a seat of power, and they, were, they had to come to terms with something is happening here that Rome can't touch. Its power was easily understood uh, as far as Rome. Cretans and Arabs. Crete is noted at the end of Acts as this island in the Mediterranean, of course. But Arabs, Jews who had dotted the landscape on the trade route to Saudi Arabia, they were going to take this message of who God is back. Their own languages were heard, earthly grounded languages. They pointed out the Galileans were there. Galileans at the most, I mean, if they did, did the Duolingo thing, they might be familiar, but true, there wasn't Duolingo, just so that you know. I don't want to mislead you. But they, they were familiar, but definitely not fluent to the point of being born into a first language. But what did they hear? They heard about the good things of God, each in their own language. Good things, I'm just speculating, God's forgiveness replacing bitterness, God's grace replacing wrath, unity in Christ replacing confusion, the worth of a new kingdom replacing our kingdoms of small temporary trinkets. All of these things of great value, heard in your language, in their own language. If you've ever heard somebody speak your heart language after functioning in your second or third language, it's really hard to keep you away from them. Uh, for my wife, Katya, she speaks three languages. First is Finnish, absolutely different than most other languages in the world. Secondly, Swedish. Third, she loves me and our family in English every day. I'm so blessed. But when she hears somebody speak Finnish, look out. Because we're going to, kids, get used to it. We're going to be here for a good half hour. And because her heart has come to life when she hears. If you've been in a multicultural situation or simply anywhere else than the USA and you don't exactly know what to do because you're a little bit confused based on the surroundings, you hear somebody speak English, you need answers. At some point, it becomes a survival mechanism in some ways. 
I speak Swedish, I go to Ikea. It's fun. Uh, the interesting thing is that everybody there, when they heard their own languages, they did not go to the person who was speaking the language. They went to each other and they asked, what does this mean? Don't be surprised if no one asks you about your life with Christ. Please don't be. You might tell them without them asking, and you'll have to figure this part out. The Spirit is going to help you with that. So what? So we've read this, the ultimate passage for a Pentecostal school, so to speak. All right? We're at this so what moment. The purpose of this Spirit being poured out is that God is going to be understood by all. Of course, we end up with this question of, is he? For those who heard this new message in their heart languages, Peter then explained that Jesus, certainly famous through word of mouth, was who he said he was. They now knew about Jesus. Cut to the heart. That's what it says here. They're cut to the heart. And then they say, what should we do? You got to remember that in two other places in Acts, people were cut to the heart. Guess what happened? Those hostile crowds wanted to kill the very person who was sharing about who Jesus is. I just want you to be aware of this. There's a cost. Those listening turned to Jesus and then were baptized. Meaning was created in them. The traveling Jewish people, they either stayed or they went back to their homes with this new message of who God is. So what do we learn from this passage? First thing is this, surrender, repent. Just like when they said, what do we do? Peter said, Repent. Turn back. Turn towards God. Trust in what Jesus has done. That message can be for us as well, not just for them, of course. Here's a litmus test for you. Is it difficult to speak of the good things of God anymore? Is it a challenge to utter words that are honoring of God? Uh, like a wise friend once told me, if you don't have the desire to meet God, would you pray for the desire to meet God? We expect, we wait, we don't force. The motion of the church is so clear after this. It, once they received this Holy Spirit and this fire that was happening, they didn't just splash around with it. Theologians are really clear about this. They don't just point out, they splashed around with everybody who had a similar experience and it was internal. No, this was meant to, for propulsion. This power was meant to send people. That's the outcome of this situation. They could have gone and everybody there was talented. Everybody, they knew enough. They, they had enough info to go somewhere. The very first example that we see here, everybody, which is crazy to recognize, is that the first example of mission sent by the Spirit-led church is that they met people according to how they understood, and then the visitors were sent in mission. The disciples didn't go because right away. It was the people had already gathered, and they were the first missionaries to be sent out. What does that do? Does that inform the way that we do mission currently? Chi Alpha does this incredibly well. The globalized world has brought students to the doorsteps of our universities. What if they caught Jesus here and the Spirit is moving in them and then they go? 
It's the natural ebb and flow. What a great opportunity we have in this globalized world at the U of M. The very spirit of Jesus is meeting people. And the point is, is that Jesus is the baptizer so that the nations will understand him. Like in the passage today, as you and people around you are in the presence of God, you're going to overhear people saying things. I mean, my friend, I, I came up right next to him and he said, what does this mean? And I told him, but he wasn't ready to hear. That's, that's a common thing. You're going to meet people like in the passage where they're not even going to talk to you. They're going to talk to each other about this person who is in front of them. That's you. Somebody empowered by God's spirit who is living out the good things of God, speaking out and showing with your action. You want two symbols put together. You have passion and you have God's spirit clearly evident in a change um, in the way that you do things. And people are, they're going to ask, what does this mean? They might not ask you. But then you have to position yourself to be near them, to be friends with them, to be close to them so that you can explain it. Even Philip with the Ethiopian, God positions him right next to a chariot. He overhears somebody reading scripture and P, uh, Philip, Philip has to say, do you get what you're, what you're reading right there? Again, it's an uncomfortable situation if we wait for people. If we don't look ourselves and go. Biblical examples may not occur. Peter stands. Peter raises his voice and says, I want to tell you about what this means. You're going to meet people who question the very existence of God with no roots in any religious tradition as I wrap up. Are we ready to speak about the goodness of God that they may be cut to the heart with the news of Jesus? Are we prepared for if they are cut to the heart and they do not like us? We're at this university to listen, question, push back, trust, surrender, and expect the goodness of God to articulate this to every person that all will hear in the sent church is better understood. The problem is this. Can you bring up that map one more time, then I'll be done. Thank you. Those lands where there were visiting Jews from all over, Asia, Egypt, Libya, parts of southern Europe, Turkey, Israel, all have had Christianity. They had it before us. And they deserve to hear again. Just as parts of China, Germany, Scandinavia, Latin and South America, Indonesia, parts of Australia, parts of the USA, they need to hear for the first time. Wherever people have not heard, we must go. It's a very simple message today. God wants to be understood and the Spirit is helping him to be understood through us. We read about this harvest earlier and now we are faced with the reality that the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. So now what for us today? Just as it was back then. We surrender. We repent. We wait. We are filled. And we go as the new people of the Spirit. Whether they know it or not, people are waiting to hear about the goodness of God in their heart language and you're just the person for the job. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are known at the top of the chorus. 
I thank you, God, that you are known in the silence. Holy Spirit, as you moved then, we trust you. Our hearts that have been unrepentant and have not surrendered, we, we now take our hearts, those areas that we have kept for ourselves, our small kingdoms, and we lay them down before you, God, and we repent. We turn towards you. That's the first thing we learn from this passage. The second, Lord, is that we're going to wait and expect you. Even outside of COVID boundaries, as we leave this room, we're going to wait and expect you. In classes, in our dorms, wherever we're at, we are going to wait and expect you, God. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing here today. And the thing is, everybody, before we go, as, as we sing together now, please don't force it. Don't force it. Wait and expect. You know what I mean about forcing. Just wait. He will meet you. He will meet us.